Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Welcome to a bonus podcast of Island Conversations. I wanted to bring more information about COVID-19 testing and symptoms and what happens if you actually have the disease. So we're talking with a physician who can give us a little more detail about COVID-19. By the way, Island Conversations does air over the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii on Sundays on KWXX and B97B93, and then is rebroadcast the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. And then all of the conversations are posted as podcasts at kwxx.com, b97hawaii.com, and wherever you get podcasts. This episode did not air on the radio. And by the way, my guess is on a cell phone. Transmission isn't perfect. I wish it were, but the information is excellent. Dr. Nathan Tamita is a general surgeon and the medical director of Ali'i Health, an affiliate of Kona Community Hospital. Ali'i Health is located in Keaho Shopping Center. Aloha, Dr. Tamita. How are you? Good. How are you? I am great. And I want to mention that Ali'i Health is now doing screenings and testings for COVID-19. The testings, if appropriate, every Monday and Thursday from 8 a.m. till noon at Keaho Shopping Center. And I know that everybody is really concerned about and in general sometimes confused about some of the details of COVID-19. So I thought talking with Dr. Tomita would be a great opportunity to get more information about the virus and about the symptoms. Dr. Tomita, first, I know that the testing sites basically all use the same procedure, screening first, then if appropriate, you do the testing. So tell us about the screening. What actually is involved? Well, we are following the CDC guidelines for finding out if a patient qualifies for a test. Basically, you need to have some symptoms, a fever, a cough, perhaps shortness of breath, aches and pains, itchy eyes or redness around the eyes. And it's to screen people that may have the COVID-19. Everybody has a little bit of different situations and travel histories and exposures to perhaps other people with COVID. And if you qualify through the screening process, then you can have a test performed on site. The other way is to be pre-screened using telehealth, which is amazing product of this virus is that in the comfort of your own home, in a 15-minute interview with a doctor or other provider, you can see if you qualify. Well, that's really good. Now, I want to ask you more about the symptoms. You and everybody else has said cough, but talk about the cough, how bad a cough. They talk about dry cough. What does that really mean? Give us more detail because people are really concerned, obviously. The coronavirus is a lower respiratory disease. So cough, a fever, and a shortness of breath are the three top symptoms that we're looking for. Obviously, if you're short of breath and you're having difficulty even talking, you should probably go to an emergency department instead of coming to the screening. So back to the cough, how bad a cough? And I ask this because I'm a person who typically has seasonal allergies. Sometimes I wake up and I have post-nasal drip and I cough. How do I tell the difference between that and COVID-19 cough? Is there a difference? 
we're looking for more of an acute cough, not a chronic cough. So something that's acute and something that you normally don't have, that would be more concerning than someone that always has a chronic cough for a wide variety of medical reasons. It becomes difficult with the chronic cough patient as to whether or not it's from allergies or it's because they always have a cough because they smoke or is it because of the coronavirus. That's where that discussion with the physician is very helpful. Okay. And then fever. How high a fever are we talking? And as I ask you this, I have read and I've noted in my own self that typically one's normal body temperature may not always be 98.6. It might be 97.5 or 97.6. So how high a fever does a person need to have to be considered possibly a COVID-19 person? The fever that we use is 100 degrees or 100.5 degrees. If you are taking antipyretics such as Tylenol to falsely lower the temperature, then that value may not be correct. So the temperature that you're taking has to be off Tylenol. Okay. Loss of taste and smell, I understand, is one symptom. Tell me how often you've been seeing that and what you know about that. So that has been reported in the literature as well, uh, loss of taste and smell. There's a lot of things that we don't know about the coronavirus, but we do know that a lot of the patients have been complaining of loss of smell and loss of taste. And then you mentioned red eyes. Tell us about that, because that's another seasonal allergy symptom oftentimes. The three mucosal services that are exposed in your face are in your eyes, your lacrimal ducts, your nose, and your mouth. And so sometimes when there's irritation of your eyes, it could be concerning and possibly an early sign of COVID-19. Okay. So those are the kinds of things you're screening for. I also read on the CDC site that tiredness is a symptom. I'm assuming this means more tiredness than normal? Yes. In the progression of the disease, most people start feeling bad after exposure at around day three to five. They start feeling weak or tired, and then the rest of the symptoms start, such as fever and such as cough, and they usually rapidly get worse over time in that three to five day time period. One other thing we've been told, though, is that sometimes people may have COVID-19, but they don't, as you say, present with symptoms after three to five days. Tell us how that's being dealt with, because that's pretty strange to have this disease and not, as you say, have the symptoms you've talked about. That is the scariest part of the coronavirus, is that you can spread the disease during a period of time when you're not symptomatic. So if you look at the Ebola virus, the Ebola virus is also very contagious. But the people, when they have their symptoms, is when they could spread the symptoms. But with coronavirus, for about five days before you show symptoms, you are asymptomatic. But during your asymptomatic period, you can still be contagious and you can spread the disease around you. So, for example, if you were waiting in line at the grocery store and the guy in front of you looked really bad and he looked like he had fever or chills, you would easily stay six feet away from him and stay clear. Now, with the coronavirus, you could be standing in front of somebody and not even know that they have the coronavirus because for five days they are asymptomatic, but they can still spread the disease. That's the most difficult part of getting a handle on the coronavirus. 
Well, I imagine that's why it's really important that we literally do stay six feet away from everybody most of the time, yeah? Yeah, so six feet is based on when you cough or sneeze, that's how far the droplet particles spread around that person. But, you know, if you don't know who around you is contagious, that's why we have the stay-at-home policy. And because if you don't know, you don't know, and the best way is to just stay home. You know, one of the things, Dr. Tomita, that Ali'i Health has said and the other screening sites have said, and you've definitely made a special point of asking people such as airport workers, TSA screeners, first responders such as police and fire to come in and get screened whether or not they have symptoms. Tell us about that focus. We would like to offer a screening to all the TSA and first responders to have an interview with the physician to see if they qualify for testing. So screening and testing are different. Screening is asking a series of questions, asking about their travel history, asking about their degree of exposure to see if they qualify for testing. As the availability of testing increases and more people can easily be tested, it's very important for us to protect our first responders so that they're there for us. Well, no kidding. I saw a couple of police officers who I just mentioned this to, and and they were excited just because police officers and first responders such as the fire guys, you know, they're definitely facing risk all the time. Now, if someone does get tested, where are the tests actually processed and how long does it take to get the results? The result times are getting better. They were 12 days for us in particular, and now they are down to two days, which is phenomenal. And hopefully it gets down to 24 hours and maybe even less with the new tests that are coming out. But for right now, it's running between two and three days. And so where are the tests actually processed? Like at a place like clinical labs or a place like that? It depends. Tests are being performed in Oahu and tests are being performed on the mainland. It depends on which lab is doing the testing and it just depends on the amount of backup at each location. Clinical labs and both diagnostic labs and clinical labs have done a great job at spreading the testing sites out so that whichever site is backed up, they will route the specimens to the location that is the least busy so that they can decrease the turnaround time. Dr. Tomita, talk about prevention. What are your thoughts? This is the best part. This is what you need to know to protect yourself and your family, and it's simple. Just don't touch your face. Coronavirus spreads mostly by droplet, but also by aerosol, but mostly by droplet. And droplet means when someone coughs or sneezes, the droplets fall down onto the surface surrounding them, and you touch it. You touch the table, you touch the doorknob, and then you touch your face. If you don't touch your face, you break the transmission, and it's very hard to get coronavirus. If you touch your nose, if you touch your mouth, if you touch your eyes, that's how you get coronavirus. If you can just learn, and this is the hardest part, to not touch your face, you will be amazingly safe compared to everyone else. It's a hard thing to learn. It's a habit. When your nose gets scratchy, you scratch your nose. When your eyes get itchy, you scratch your eyes. You almost have to be OCD. When you touch a doorknob, it's okay, but then you have to use Purell or a hand sanitizer afterwards. 
when you go to the grocery store and you touch the cart, you have to clean the cart and then grab it and then clean your hands again. It's really an OCD type of behavior that will help prevent you from getting the coronavirus. It does sound simple. Now, you mentioned not touching the face. Can the coronavirus actually penetrate my skin and go into my body that way, or does it have to get in, as you mentioned, through eyes, mouth, or nose? Most of the transmission occurs by droplets, and that's through a mucosal opening, such as the eyes, and the lacrimal duct, and the nose, or the mouth. And if you just can learn to not touch your face, you would help yourself tremendously. It is a tough thing to do to avoid touching one's face. I've heard that that is one of the reasons some medical professionals say wear a mask because a mask keeps you from touching your face a little bit. Well, Gwandi mentioned that in a New Yorker article in March, and he mentioned wearing a mask might help prevent you from touching your face. And if anything, it might remind you to not touch your face. But then there are some that think that if you wear a mask, the more you fidget with the mask and the more you touch your face. You may have to just practice at home and just learn that you're going to get the virus if you touch your face. That's all you got to learn how to do is stop touching your face. (laughs) I'm laughing because now my chin itches just because you've been talking about that. (laughs) I have heard that drinking water is important. Can drinking water prevent coronavirus to your knowledge? It may help. I haven't read any literature in that regard, but again, all you have to know is to not touch your face. I can't say that enough. It's really an actually a hard thing to learn because a lot of the times that we touch our face are by habit, and you're touching your nose, you're touching your eyes, even before you can think not to do it. And so breaking that habit is probably the hardest thing for people to learn. And maybe even the elderly, it would be hard to teach them to stop touching their face. But that's the trick. Don't touch your face. Somebody asked me to ask you this question. For those who work in retail stores, grocery stores, Walmarts, Targets, Costco, people who see a lot of people on a daily basis, albeit maybe from six feet away, should they take off and wash all their clothes and take a shower when they get home? Is that reasonable to think that they may be carrying the virus on their clothes or hair? I think it's reasonable to be a little careful. I don't think it hurts. But by and large, probably that behavior is more for the medical personnel that are in close contact with higher levels of COVID patients. But it doesn't hurt. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is a Bonus Island Conversations podcast. I'm Sherry Bracken. We're talking today with Dr. Nathan Tomita of Ali'i Health Center at Keahoe Shopping Center. We spoke last Thursday, April 2nd, after Dr. Tomita had participating in the first of the Monday and Thursday screenings that Ali'i Health Center is now doing at Keahoe Shopping Center. Sorry about the transmission. He was on his cell phone. And I want to let you know that we are updating news all about COVID-19 all the time at kwxx.com. That's our website. When you go to it, you should see a whole array of news stories. And we're putting in all the latest details and statistics and 
interesting stories as we get them and as we check them out. Before we get back to the rest of our conversation with Dr. Tomita about what happens if you get COVID-19, whether those who've had it are likely to be immune, what about an antibody test, and a little more, let's hear from the company that sponsors our podcasts and our radio broadcasts for Island Conversations, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. And before we get back to Dr. Nathan Tomita with more about coronavirus, COVID-19, the CDC has now recommended that everybody wear a mask when you're out in public and in contact with other people, whether you're sick or not, just as one additional prevention measure to help stop the spread of COVID-19. Let's get back to Dr. Nathan Tomita. Now, if somebody gets results back from a test and they're told they're positive, what should you do? That's a very good question. If, for example, the clinic receives a positive results patient, you are immediately notified to the CDC and the Department of Health. Uh, They will reach out to you and do what's called contact tracing. Contact tracing is to find out which people have been in close proximity to you. And that tracing starts 48 hours from when your symptoms started. It usually ends up being close family members. People that you spend more than 15 to 30 minutes with are considered high contact individuals. So it usually ends up being the family members in your household. Those members will have to be isolated as well as the patient. And if they become symptomatic, they should also be tested for COVID-19. If you live with someone that is at higher risk, say an elderly person, a grandma or grandpa, or a cancer patient on chemotherapy, you should think about having different living arrangements because those patients are at very high risk or immunocompromised and very susceptible to the COVID-19. If you live in the same household, you should try and live in a portion of the house that's not exposed to everybody else, hopefully someplace where you have your own bathroom, you have your own living space and just clean and clean and disinfect all the surfaces that are common to each other. This virus is very weak. It doesn't take much to deactivate it. Soap, 50% alcohol, keeping all the surfaces clean goes a long way. It doesn't take much to break the virus down. That's good to know. Now, what can you tell us about people who actually have COVID-19? What do you know about how, how they feel, how bad they feel? Tell us more about that they will probably be fine for the first, on average, five days. Uh, They will be spreading the disease and not even know they have it, and they will be asymptomatic. In the three to five days after that, then they become rapidly symptomatic. They get a fever, they have a cough, and possibly shortness of breath. We don't really understand why some people get COVID-19 and do moderately well, and some people get COVID-19 and do horribly and their disease progression is far worse than the rest of the population. That part is still unknown as to why certain people do okay and some people do poorly. How long would it take someone who has tested positive to actually 
return to feeling well and able to get out again? How long before they stop exposing others to COVID-19? So if you look at the CDC guidelines and the Department of Health guidelines for Hawaii, you have to be seven days out from when your symptoms first started, and you have to have three consecutive days of no symptoms, meaning no fever, no cough, no shortness of breath, and for three days, you have to feel great. And so if you feel great for three days, and it's been seven days since your symptoms began, you are released by the Department of Health. The Department of Health will be in close contact with you as a positive COVID-19 patient, and they will review the current guidelines with you for when it's safe to return to the public. The Department of Health is going to be quite busy. Our numbers are quite low still. That's when testing is very helpful. Testing and isolating and doing contact tracing really makes a difference in the early phase of an outbreak. That's where the uh, Big Island is. We have numbers, but they are low numbers. And so it's very important to find those patients that have COVID-19, isolate them, and do contact tracing, identify who they've been exposed to, and perhaps test those patients as well. And that's how we can beat this thing. We do have a chance, since our numbers are low, to use testing, isolation, and contact tracing. Of course, we don't have enough tests to test everybody, right? Right. The number of test kits actually have been increasing, though. For example, this weekend, we had almost 400 test kits to utilize. And the weekend before that, it was 200. And the weekend before that was hardly any. So the availability of testing continues to increase, and the turnaround time is decreasing. So these are all good things for the state of Hawaii and the Big Island. But you still don't want people to get tested if they don't have any symptoms at all, right? For right now, the CDC guidelines are to test the symptomatic patients. That is correct. I realize, Dr. Tomita, that this COVID-19 is a brand new disease, but do doctors feel that we will have immunity against it if we get it, or do they think it's likely we will be able to get it repeatedly? Hopefully we'll have that test available soon. So there's two kinds of tests. The testing that we're doing now is a reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction, or PCR test. And that test for virus particles. The second test would be a serologic test. And that test would tell if you have the antibodies to the virus. And if I have the antibodies, that means I cannot get it again? We don't know that. But if we had to look at the other viruses, the other coronaviruses, the answer would be yes. It would be highly unlikely for someone to not have an immunity to a virus after exposure. We don't know that coronavirus is a new virus, but if you look at other viruses, you should develop immunity to it. Influenza is a coronavirus, and as you know, as everybody knows, it tends to mutate a lot, which is why it's so hard to create the absolute perfect flu vaccine every year, even though getting vaccinated does typically tend to reduce symptoms or likelihood that one would get it. But Is this likely, do you think, to be like influenza, that it will mutate where we might have reduced immunity? Or what do you think about that? I realize it's a new virus, so you don't know all the answers. Yeah, it's a new virus, so we don't know a lot of the answers. But I think we're stuck with this coronavirus for a long time. It will be a seasonal virus that keeps on coming back. But as more and more of the 
general population has immunity to it, hopefully our bodies can fire it off easier next time. We will definitely be better prepared next year. Dr. Tomita, you mentioned the antibody test, and I'm wondering when such a test is available, would it be likely that medical professionals will recommend that we all get the antibody test to see if we actually have had it? That's an interesting question. Um, It would be helpful to know who has immunity to it by doing that test, but that test is not available to my knowledge or not available widespread. Okay. So remember, there are two ways to get COVID-19. One is by droplet and one is by aerosol. It's thought to be more by droplet, and droplet is hands-to-face, hands-to-face, to eye, to nose, or to mouth. And the other one is aerosol. Aerosol is, I think, more dependent on distance to the person. So if you are within that six feet and perhaps you're not wearing a mask, then aerosol probably uh, transmits, uh, and it depends on time. So did you spend two minutes, one minute with that person and you just said hi? Or were you talking within six feet for 15 minutes or maybe 30 minutes or maybe an hour and you were really close to that person? And perhaps aerosol transmission is, is more of a concern. But if you limit your time to less than 15 minutes, if you stay six feet away from someone, The rate of transmission by aerosol, I think, dropped exponentially. Good to know. And I guess the other thing that it's a reminder of, that we need to wipe down our surfaces. And that leads me to a question. Some of the wipes say they kill 99.95% of germs, but others are just cleaning wipes that don't say that. You said that the virus is fairly weak. So if we just use like soap and water on a surface and don't specifically use a wipe that says kills 99% of all germs, are we still able to remove the coronavirus from a surface? Yes, soap and water is fine. 60% alcohol is what the CDC recommends, but uh, you and I know how hard that is to find right now. (laughs) Yeah. So this simple soap and water will do it, and certainly wash your hands before you touch your face. It should give you some comfort to know how you can beat this virus. The comforting thing is wash your hands before you touch your face, stay six feet away from people, and limit the interaction time if someone is sick to 15 minutes or less. And if someone is diagnosed with COVID-19, respect the isolation. And if you are being tested and you don't know your results yet, respect the isolation until you get your test results back. Very good. Is there anything you'd like to add, Dr. Nathan Tamita, before we say aloha? I just wanted to thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to the public about some easy steps they can take to protect themselves and protect their families. I honestly think we have a chance because they shut the inner island down. They did the 14-day quarantine for people coming in from the mainland, and our numbers are low. And the longer we go and see that our tests are coming back negative, I think we have a shot. Dr. Nathan Tamita of Ali'i Health at Keahoe Shopping Center, thank you so much for your time. Aloha. Thank you. And for our audience, there are several places on the island now that can do testing. If you're interested in Lee Health at Keahoe Shopping Center, they're testing Monday and Thursday from 8 to noon. If you'd like to set up that advanced telehealth screening that Dr. Tomita talked about, their number is 808 808- 
747-837-8321 and then take option five to make an appointment. You may also get screened at Queens North Hawaii Hospital Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 to 2, Hilo Civic every Sunday from 8 to 3, Hilo Medical Center Monday through Friday from 10 to 2, and that's the only one that requires a doctor's order in advance. All the others I'm mentioning screen you on site to check for symptoms. Puna Medical Center Monday through Friday, 9 to 4. So thank you so much for listening. I hope this discussion of symptoms and all about COVID-19 was helpful. That was Dr. Nathan Tomita of Ali'i Health Center. I'm Sherry Bracken, and this is Island Conversations. Until next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Highland Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.